Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Just Being Amos Podcast. In this episode, I have comic book creator and writer Fabian Nicieza, creator of Deadpool and other comic books in Marvel and DC. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Hey everyone, this is Amos for Just Being Amos Podcast. I have the legend, um, the legend, the myth, you know, the guy, he's, everybody knows him. His name is Fabian Nicieza. I'm saying it right, Fabian? You're, you're saying it pretty good, except anytime I'm called a legend, I know that that's just a euphemism for calling me old. No, man, no. He's the, he's the old guy on the show. No, man, come on, dude. I had, I had one of your best friends on my show when I first started out, man. So he's That's, older than you. <laughs> Mark Bagley is older than dirt. <laughs> yeah, it was Mark Bagley. That's right. It was like my third episode. I first if you started. look at the, if you look up the word "old" in the dictionary, Mark's face is right next. To yes, it. it is, man. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, we can say this because people don't know it, my audience. I'm, I'm friends with Mark and Fabian is also, so I, we could get this past. So. Yeah, we're allowed to make fun of Mark because yeah. we're very good friends with Mark. Yes, we are. Yes, we are, man. Because, as a matter of fact, you just um, left Mark like uh, this past weekend, right? At the media yes, we, we were at a convention in Minneapolis, and, and we spent a lot of time together and sampled several beers, so it was oh very good. Oh, my goodness, man. Don't he drink under the table? <laughs> no, I don't I don't drink much anymore, so I, I, I have a couple, and then that's it. I'm not going to overdo it anymore. Yeah. I'm too old for that. I'm too old for that crap. <laughs> All right, like Danny Glover said, I'm too old for this. <laughs> yep. Well, I'm glad you're on my podcast, man, because I know it's been like crazy, your schedule and everything, the conventions there, everywhere else, because the last time I talked to you was at Dragon Con, that was in September during the Labor Day weekend. Yep. So I finally got the chance to talk to you, man, and I so said, I got some questions, you know, plenty of them. And I got plenty of answers. <laughs> so I got questions for myself and also for my co-host, Trevor. He's not with me today. But he has some questions also, so I'm relaying. Is he still with us though? Is Trevor still with us? He's still alive, right? He didn't write the questions and then die unfulfilled, (laughs) not hearing the answers, right? No, 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 no. no. He's he's good. So he's not he's not with us, but he's still with us. He's still with us, right? Yeah, he's with his girlfriend. He's playing trivia tonight. Wonderful. So I guess his girlfriend like beats me out, right? She's she's more important than I am to Trevor. I see where you're coming from, Trevor. I get it. Shout out to Trevor, man. He's going to be listening to this podcast. I know he is. I'm wondering if my ass is better than her ass. We'd see if Trevor might still be on the podcast. (laughs) Like I said, I'm glad you're here, man. And like I said, I'm going to ask questions about the coming books and stuff like that. But, you know, I've known you since I met you in Huntsville, what, two years ago, I think? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. two years ago. Yeah, two yeah. years ago, right. It was your first time being in Alabama in Huntsville. Yeah, it was my first time in Alabama, and, yeah. and you, you protected me and kept me safe, and I appreciate that. Yes, you're very Because anytime a northerner, a northern liberal East Coast elitist libtard goes down to Alabama, he, he needs protection. Yeah, but you know what, man? I'm, for my followers who don't know, I'm, well, who follow me, I am black, and I'm from the South, so hey. I was covered. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you covered. 
yeah, I felt, I, 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 me and Mark Bagley together in Alabama, I felt very safe with you with us, actually, to tell dude, you the dude, truth. Dude, <laughs> it, it was fun, man. That was very fun, dude. That, yeah, that, it was a good show. It, we had a good time. It's a great show, man. So you're going to ever come back to Alabama for something else, for another kind? Uh, you know what? I, I'd wait a while because I like to wait a while between shows. Right. But I'm hoping Mississippi invites me to something because I haven't been to Mississippi yet. And I'm trying to hit all 50 states. Oh, really? So, yeah, Miss, I only got like seven or eight left. Uh, Mississippi, Louisiana, the Dakotas, Idaho, Montana. Oh. Unfortunately, none of those northern states have conventions, so I'm screwed. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Um, and I think you... Was it you? No, I've been in Salt Lake City. What am I talking about? Um, I think that's it. I think those are the only ones I got left. Right. You know, I'm originally from Mississippi. I know. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. I, I, I think it, I might have even asked you, can we drive there so I can jump out of the car and say I've been in Mississippi, but Yo. it was too far away. <laughs> Yo, dude, it's nothing there where I'm from. So, I mean, it's something there, but nothing there. You get what I'm saying? So I hear what you're saying, but look, you, you got to hit all 50 states. You got to hit them somehow. I don't count airports. So no. um, land like a, a, a layover in an airport doesn't count or else I, I was in the New Orleans airport one time for a layover, but I don't count that. I got to like kind of set foot in the state itself. Ah, okay. I see what you're saying. Okay. Okay. I see what you're saying, man. So for my listeners who are out there who are just not into comic books, but is familiar with this movie, I'm going to say it movie Deadpool. This is the creator of Deadpool. I mean, for those who are not comic book fans, but those who are comic book fans, he is the creator of Deadpool. I'm just going to keep it short on Deadpool because I know you get so much of that character, you know, Fabian. So Yeah, um, it, it ends up taking a lot of the oxygen out of the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> man. So I want to elaborate on your other stuff that you did prior to, to Deadpool. Like, how did you get started out with Marvel? You know, how did you get started out with Marvel? Cause, uh, I started at Marvel in 1985. I got a staff job. I'd been working at a paperback book publisher, um, Berkeley Publishing, and um, I got out of college in '83. And uh, as usually happens in in publishing, you you get a better paying job by leaving the company you're at going somewhere else. And um, somebody on the softball team told me that one of their coworkers had a sister who worked at Marvel who was looking to hire an assistant in the manufacturing department. Right. And, and I had no interest in the manufacturing department, but I had an interest in working at Marvel, so I applied for the job it's figuring it'll it would get my foot in the door and i got the job so i was uh, her assistant in the manufacturing department which was responsible for putting out um all the marvel press posters they used to sell at the time working with the printers uh, on, on putting out the press posters and putting out a line uh, marvel books at that time was not what you think of it now as trade paperbacks and hardcovers of of the comic material right uh, marvel books back then was a a licensing line with fisher price toys oh, to do coloring books and sticker books yeah because the back then the president and publisher of the company were always so embarrassed about comics that they always tried to find other ways to legitimize themselves for their uh, manhattan uh bourbon clubs and whiskey clubs <laughs> so, so so doing children's books is okay but doing comic books wasn't um so marvel was trying to do that as an outreach thing to get into supermarkets to get into into you know uh, chain drug stores back then and all that this is before even the days of walmart um so that was my job to be in the manufacturing department but i really wanted to do uh public uh, advertising because that's what i went to college for right um and the 
somebody was hiring an assistant in the promotions department and I applied for that job and he hired me. So four months into my uh, job at Marvel, I switched departments and went, went to work with him. And at the same time, he was getting somebody hired over him to actually form an entire department. So the, that new boss let it shake out to see what our skills were like. And then within a year, he named me advertising manager and he named the other guy promotions manager. Um, and my job was to do all of Marvel's house ads that appeared in the comics, uh, all of the subscription ads, all of the ads for the direct market, all of the promotional posters that went out to the direct market, um, all of these co-op ads, sell sheets, promotional giveaways. My job was to get those all done start to finish, the creative on them, the copy, commission the artist to work on it, work with a design studio to, pr to produce produce the mechanicals and and get them out there oh. um so i did that i did that before i i were sold anything as a writer i was i was working on staff at marvel nine to five doing that job and i sold my first writing story in 87 that's so um, 1985 huh yeah 85 is when i started at marvel 86 is when i moved to the promotion department um and 87 is when i sold my first comic story my first script dude i was still in, i was a 60 year old child man yeah well you know <laughs> we're all born when we're born you had to be somewhere yeah i was yeah, back in 85 like damn see, i was six years old at the time watching transformers and gi joe mm -hmm. yeah and matter of fact gi joe at the time was was it part of marvel at the time yeah oh yeah it was one of marvel's best-selling comics i thought so uh, Larry Hama and Herb Trimpey, um, they, 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 they were, it was one of Marvel's best-selling books back then. Yeah, I remember that. It sold that. great on the newsstand. Yeah, I remember so, that. And it, sold, and it sold to six-year-old kids who <laughs> were totally into it. Oh, wow, yeah. Because <laughs> I know the story behind the G.I. Joe whole thing. They had to sell the product. Everything in the 80s was more of the toy lines, you know, Transformer, G.I. Joe, He-Man, everything like that. And, I, you know, Larry said Larry Hama was part of making all of these characters and so in order for the toy to sell, they had to do the comic book. So I think Jim Shooter was the editor? Jim was the editor-in-chief. and Chief, he's, yeah. He presided over a lot of those licensing decisions, like which books were smart to publish or not. Um, we, I mean, look, it was hit or miss when you, when you did licensing books. Um, we, 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 we had a bunch of licensing failures in terms right. of the books we did, but we had a several real big successes. And, but it started before G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe was like the first real super breakout hit, but um, Micronauts had started before that. And oh. I think, and ROM had started before that too. And th those were licensing books. Even in the early 70s, Marvel did a Planet of the Apes comic book, where, you know, and a magazine, a Planet of the Apes magazine. And when you come right down to it, Conan, was like one of the first big licensing successes that they had in, in the very early 70s. Oh, okay. um, so all of those were licensed books. Star Wars, anything like that is a licensed book because it's not owned by the company. You're paying another company the right to publish content of their intellectual property. Right, you know? I see what you're saying. Well, yeah, because I recognize that because Marvel had an imprint called Star Comics. Like you said, yeah. you had like the visionaries, which, by the way, Mark was the artist, artist on yes, that. Yes, Mark. I, yeah, he was like, that was one of his first assignments, I think. Yeah, I think um, it was. Yeah. You had that. And also for you, you said your first assignment was was back in 1987 as far as writing something, right? Yeah, I sold an inventory story to the New Universe title Cyforce. And New Universe was a new line Marvel had launched, which was 
struggling right out of the gate to, to both sell and to be on schedule. So it was a great opportunity for young guys to break in because a lot of the established vets didn't really want to work on those titles. So the editors were a little desperate to hire people to work on them. So an editor in the office, Bob Budiansky, asked me if I would want to pitch him some inventory stories. So of course I did. And, um, and he picked one of the one of the pitches I gave him, and, and I wrote it up, and it was getting drawn within a week, and it got scheduled immediately. So it wasn't one of the – an inventory used to be a completely finished book that sat in an editor's drawer in his desk, uh, in his flat file cabinets, waiting for the schedule to break down because then you had a completed finished issue waiting, and you could just slot it right in. Oh. And the books had to come out every month back then because we went on the newsstand and if you missed your newsstand slot for your delivery you lost it for that entire month which meant you already did the print run on it you'd have to eat 100 200,000 copies of something that wouldn't sell oh, you know um, so so every editor had to have an inventory story in their drawer wow. um, and, as, and as a result a lot of the younger guys who were trying to break in had op- had more opportunities to to write something uh, and I sold Cyforce number nine, and and it went very very well, and the editor liked it a lot. So he he immediately asked me to do another inventory story, and that was Cyforce thirteen. Um, and then the book the book line got cut in half, and and four titles were consolidated under one other editor, Howard, um, Howard Mackey, and um, and Jim Shooter named me the writer of Cyforce starting with issue sixteen. I met Howard. So, the other, I met excuse me. I mean, I met Howard over in Baltimore Comic Con this past. Yeah, yeah, and Howard was an editor at Marvel. Uh, he also was the writer who who created co-created the new the new version of Ghost Rider. Right. But, but he he was an editor on staff at Marvel. Right. Um, he got he was an assistant editor to Mark Greenwald, and then he got promoted to full editor, and that was when he got was given the new Universal line. And and, and Shooter basically made me the writer, whether Howard wanted me to be or not. And um, and and then a few months after, just not even a month or so after that, Shooter got fired. Um, and but Howard stuck with me. He let me keep writing the book because I was I was showing him I could do it. So he was willing to give me that chance. Okay, that's that was great of him, man. Like I said, I met Howard in Baltimore Comic Con. That was my first time going to Baltimore, and I really liked the convention, man. And uh, I talked to him about it. I said, yeah, I, I said I recognize your name, and when you said that, I recognized he was part of Ghost Rider. Yes, I remember. He was that. the writer on Ghost Rider. He wrote Spider Man for years. Yeah. Um, and he edited. He edited the Avengers, Iron Man, um, uh, a bunch of other stuff, um, uh, and, and he wrote he wrote freelance too. Yeah, he was cool. He was had a nice conversation. His his wife is very nice, man. She was Howard cool. is Howard is a good guy, and his wife Deb, who we met at Marvel, she used to work, uh, I think, in the licensing department or or in accounting. I'm not sure which. Um, that uh, he met he met Deb at Marvel, and that they started dating when they were at Marvel. Yeah, and she was knitting. I'm like, what? She was knitting while we were at the table. I was like, wow. That... That's pretty neat. <laughs> I'd be knitting at conventions too if I had a choice, but I tend not to have a choice. <laughs> yeah, man. yeah. So yeah, it, it was pretty cool meeting him and his wife. So after you was finished with New Universe, cause I know New New Universe did not last that long. I just wonder. Uh, actually, longer than most people think. Really? We, we yeah, we went up to issue thirty-four. So hmm. that's almost three years it lasted. Okay. Um, 
and and the, the four titles that were remaining lasted until then. And, and even when they got canceled, they didn't really get canceled because the sales were so awful. There were things selling worse than us. Uh, we were selling in the low 40s, 42,000, 44,000. Um, nowadays, that number would put us in the top 25. So, um, so the, but, the new universe is also is Star Brand, Psylord. Um, Starbrand, it was Starbrand, Cyforce, DP7. The four remaining titles right. were Starbrand, Cyforce, DP7, and um, Justice. Okay, okay. And okay. Peter David and Lee Weeks were the guys working on Justice. I did Cyforce with Ron Lim, and then with, with uh, um, uh, Graham. Who else did it after that? Uh, Rodney Ramos did it. Uh, I think Graham Nolan did some issues. Um, and Mark was doing a lot of backup work back then yeah, on it too. Yeah, you know, matter of so, fact, he, he pulled out one of his own um, the New Universe original art. His page. Mm -hmm. It was Night Mask. Yeah, he did a he did a um, he did Night Mask before he did some of the other stuff. That was one of his first jobs, I think. Yeah. He did a Night Mask cover. I think it was his first cover cover that he did. Right, for Marvel. Yeah, I, I, he peeked out of the attic, man. I'm like, oh wow, what is this? And this is his first work. He said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was pretty." Oh, that's pretty. But amazing. like I said, it was a great opportunity to break a lot of guys in, and we broke, we, you know, a lot of a lot of new talent. Javier Saltaris, who ended up doing Ghost Rider, broke in on New Universe books. Right. A, a lot of guys broke in. Ron Lim's first Marvel job was Cyforce with me, and he left Cyforce because he was offered Silver Surfer because he was doing such a good job on Cyforce, you know. So it was actually a really good training ground. I, I getting a monthly book that quickly was a, a bit of a surprise and uh, and didn't happen that often but it was a great training ground because I could make mistakes and I could learn what worked and what didn't work on a book that not as many people were paying attention to well, you know yeah I see I, I see on that, the job uh, training basically right right and you know you guys still are in the business that's the thing y'all still here you guys still yeah here. we're still hanging around still yeah hanging around. I mean everybody every most of the main talent that was working on on a bunch of those titles are st who broke in are still are still plugging away working you know yeah, they really are man because the names you the names you named they i actually met them at the convention they still putting in work yep you know and some, and some people are very prolific on their work they get it done get it get it over i mean get it done you know the we were tempered in the in forges of steel which honed our skills and our metal so there you go if we could survive that turmoil we could survive anything <laughs> so no I, like i said i'm not gonna talk deep into about deadpool and everything everybody know the history behind that but i know when you first started once you did the new universe you got into the x-force i mean new mutants wasn't it a new mutant x-force uh, I, I, I was I, I was already writing Cyforce and Alpha Flight uh, at the time that the editor Bob Harris asked right. me if I would script New Mutants over Rob Liefeld's plots. Right. I had already done a bunch of work for Bob. I, I'd done some some emergency pinch hit scripting on New Mutants and X Men. I I plot. I had a I wrote the first issue of X Men without Chris Claremont's name in it in 17 years, um, <laughs> which was finishing up a story he didn't want to finish up because he was having some problems with the editor. Um, and and I and and they asked me if I would script it because Rob Rob Liefeld was going to be plotting the book as well as drawing it, and it was his first book that he'd be plotting, and he didn't have any real experience scripting. Right. So they wanted they wanted someone who who had was young but had a you know but had a little bit of experience so i was one of the names they were bouncing around and then they asked me to do it and i said yes because a 
uh, scripting is a lot easier than doing full writing, so it's a pretty easy gig. Um, and B, I knew that it was going to sell better, so I knew I'd be getting some good royalties off of it. Right. So I'd, I'd be getting some good paychecks off of it, right. or, you know, incentive checks. So it was a no-brainer, you know. Um, it, it all did better than we ever even expected in terms of its sales. But it, it, for me, it was just another job on top of the jobs I was already doing, you know. But, but you know, what you said about royalties and stuff like that, man, no, I'm, you probably never thought in the wildest dream in years that way, the way comic book industry is not and what Hollywood has done to the comic book industry. Like, for instance, like you said, Deadpool, no one ever thought a movie like that would be ever be made based on a character that you helped create, that you created. You know, I mean, I, I think that's very amazing, man. Right now, we're living in a day and age that most Hollywood TV and movies are actually getting materials from comic books that you used to read as a kid. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? you know what? I think that I thought it. I, I honestly believe it was. It was inevitable that it was going to happen. Um, that the the there's they're tailor made for for big screen visual excitement. The characters all have really strong inherent conflicts to them that 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 play out well on screen because the, they they have they have feet of clay. They have issues. They have problems that that you can really play with. When you're writing a three-act structure movie, right? Um, and and what it really, really took is two things. It took, uh, it took an an age generation of of people who grew up reading comics without a stigma attached to that becoming executives at companies who are willing to green light and develop these kinds of movies. And then the second thing it took was special effects catching up. To what you can do on a comic book page, I totally agree. You know, I agree and with you and once those two things happened, which was in the late '90s, then then it was almost inevitable that that these characters would get opportunities on on film and television more so than they ever had before. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that because look at two in the 2000s, you got Blade and you have Spider Man, you have um, the X Men, and now you like you said with the imaginations of the comic books, you got the special effects the technology to catch up with the powers they have and stuff like that. And I, I, as, a, as an adult and looking at these movies and I'm as a kid, I remember reading some of the stories. I'm like, man, this is great. I mean, I get goosebumps and looking at some of these movies like the MCU. I haven't seen the Joker yet or nothing like that, but I mean the Deadpool movies and stuff like that. And I really enjoy it because I kind of relive in my childhood through the movie screen and through the television. You know, I actually, grew up reading some of these characters and actually seeing them on television and um, this big screen is I get an enjoyment out of it, you know? That's yeah. They, they, they clearly don't suck. Otherwise there wouldn't be making billions of dollars of profit. Yeah, rates. That's, <laughs> that's right. You're right about that. You're right about that. But you know, you had a few that sucked. I mean, as far as movie wise, <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, you know, with Deadpool, it was just a matter of, of, an actor believing that the character could work on film, hiring, having the right writers hired who had the right sensibility, who understood how to balance the uh, the unbelievable with the believable and, and merge the two. Um, and, and the reason the first movie was such a success is, is because, A, it was unexpected and the character is different than than any other average character you could see in an action adventure mo movie uh, but b and i think it's the most important reason why it was so successful th they understood 
that in order to make it a bigger hit, it couldn't just cater to a bunch of arrested adolescent man boys. Right. It couldn't just be an action movie. So if you look at that first movie, it's boy boy loses girl, boy fights to get girl back again movie. And that's the three-act structure they have. And that that is why it appealed to so many quote-unquote civilians who don't know comics, don't don't know the character from the comics, um, and may not normally have gone to an R-rated violent action adventure movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it ended up becoming quite a big date movie and quite a big female uh, movie. A lot of women went to go see it because they heard it was really funny and sweet and romantic in a, in a weird way, and of course because Ryan Reynolds. Well, of course, Ryan Reynolds. You know, last time he did a uh, superhero movie with Green Lantern, that was it bombed. Yeah, yeah, but but he wasn't he wasn't allowed to be as he wasn't allowed to be charming, and he wasn't naked in in Green Lantern. He was naked in Deadpool, so a lot of a lot of women and a lot of men liked that a lot, so they went to go see it. Well, he, he sold me on it, man. He was he, he was Deadpool to me, and he was Wade Wilson. I mean, it's kind of short chain him in uh, X Men Origins, which oh god. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what that is no more, man. <laughs> I don't know what I don't, you said. Some you said some words together that didn't make any kind of sense in a sentence. So, yeah. but okay, we can move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so beyond beyond Deadpool, I know after I me mean, before after that, I think it was before that. I've been doing the same time you was doing New Warriors, and this is the first time you ever worked with Mark, right? Uh, yes, Mark. Mark. Um, no, no, we worked together on backups. Oh, a bunch right. of backup stories in New War and uh, New Universe stuff. Um, wow. Several actually, um, but he was ready. He was ready to break out. Right. Um, he he. If you were able to look at the pencils, not the finished art, but the pencils of New Warriors from issue one to issue six, you would see in those six issues how he became Mark Bagley. Right. Like it. It, it was his first chance to really do a mainstream superhero book. It was his first chance to do it on a monthly basis, which really teaches you a lot quickly, you know? Right. Um, and, and it was his first chance to get to work on stuff that gave him an opportunity to do a lot of dynamic action, but also a lot of character interaction. Um, and and he just he just he just dove right into it. He, he was it was phenomenal. Watching those pages come in, I, I still remember to this day. You know, I'd walk into Danny Fingeroth, who he was the editor. I'd walk into his office when a new package came in from Mark, and we'd just be looking into pages. And every single month, they just got better and better. You know, so so like between one and six, I distinctly remember five and six because those were the issues. With the Inhumans in it, um, he he just he just exponentially got better in those issues. Oh. It's almost like he had Larry Malstead inking him with issue number three, so he started the pencil with an understanding of what Larry was going to do as an inker. So it was less scratchy and a little less line work than he had been doing previously, and his pencils just got tighter and cleaner and crisper, and and it, it just they look great, and it was really really cool. Um, it, it was a it was a really fun time. That that the first the first two years on New Warriors, especially the first year, was just a tremendously fun time because both of us were kicking ass and we knew it. And there's no better <laughs> there's no better feeling than knowing you're doing a good job and everyone knows you're doing a good job because the book sales kept going up in the office. They kept they stopped making fun of what the book 
what they thought the book was going to be, and they started appreciating what it was, started getting compliments from other editors, that's when you know that, that you're doing good. Like Tom DeFalco and Mark Grunwald, who ran editorial, both love the book, so no one's going to badmouth it to them because right. <laughs> everyone in the office knew that Tom and Mark loved the book. So it, it was pretty cool. It was a really cool year. Oh, that's that's great, man. Because I know as a kid, I remember picking up a few New Warriors. I got the New Warriors, New Warriors annual. I think Spider Man was a crossover. Yeah, this one was a crossover Spider Man. I remember that. I picked it up in the newsstand. As a matter of fact, and Cro at Kroger's at the uh, Spinner Rack. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this was the Kroger's. I was picked it. That was my, I guess that was my actually my first book that I picked up. Honestly, it was. Oh, uh, was it? Yeah, the New Warriors annual. It, cool. it surely was. <laughs> yeah, it was, man. Yeah, and I, I remember picking that up. My mom got it for me. I said, you're not reading no comic books. I was like, mom, I want to You know how we pull on your mom and say, I, 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 she bought it for me. You know, like, I, no, this is, I grew up in Mississippi getting my books through mail. I didn't mm -hmm. have the opportunity to go to a comic book shop. Yeah. You know, I actually had to go in the, the books and look and look at the list of books that I wanted because they had the, adver um, the advertisements in there, right? You had uh -huh. like, Mile High Comics. I think Midtown Comics was in there. So I had to yeah. actually pick the books that I wanted. And I became a Spider-Man fan. You know, so that that's how I got into books. No, books. That's cool. Yeah. I had to look, we had no direct market shops when I was growing up. So yeah. we had to ride our bicycles to five, six different uh, candy stores or drug stores searching for titles in case if one <laughs> store was sold out, we had to go ride our bikes and go find it in another store, you know? Um, <laughs> I didn't have a comic book shop until I was in college. That was the first time I ever had an availability to a comic book shop. Yeah, so that was my next question. I had I me mean, as a kid. How did you get your comic book scene? Well, I already talked about it already. That was my uh, next yeah, question. Yeah, 7 7-11s, Krausers, newsstands. Uh, when I moved uh, in sixth grade, I moved from Sarahville, New Jersey to Old Bridge, New Jersey. Right. And there were two 7-Elevens and a, a, a newsstand called Madison Variety uh, right on Route 9 in New Jersey that um, that had a lot of comics. So those were three places I could ride my bike to. So I can I can look and hunt for what the comic I wanted. Um, then as I got older, there was like, it's funny, as you start exploring, you start figuring stuff out. As I got older, on the way home from my uh, my, my then-girlfriend's house, who's now my wife, right. um, I saw there's a 7-Eleven one time, and it was like 1 in the morning, and I'm driving home, and I stop at the 7-Eleven to see if there's anything I feel like getting. And it was like a treasure trove because they had a, several months' worth of issues still on the racks, Whoa. right? And so if I had missed something or hadn't seen something, like I got like two or three Keith Giffen, Paul Levitt's Legion of Superheroes issues all at once because they were all there, you know? Right. Um, it's where I, it's where I bought uh, my, very, my the first Alan Moore Swamp Thing issue, which was a classic now, and I bought it off the stand right there because it looked so cool, and I, I'd, I'd heard of Alan Moore uh, from Comics Journal. He right. was doing uh, Marvel Man, but I never read his work. So I saw it was him. I go, oh, this is interesting. Let me try it. The art looks great. And, and I bought Swamp Thing. I think it's issue number 21, which was the Anatomy Lesson, Alan Moore's first issue. Yo, I he, bought it at that 7-Eleven. You know? That's one thing. The run he had on it was great. Yeah, was yeah. Great. But for me, it was all about the hunt, the hunt and the chase. It was always fun to to find stuff on the spinner rack that appealed to me or looked interesting or looked different. The only book I ever bought every single month consistently 
since I was a kid was the Avengers. Everything else was always like, um, like, let's see what looks interesting. That cover looks interesting. The inside looks interesting. Oh, I recognize that artist, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I'm pretty proud of myself because I had some pretty damn good, good pretty, I had, in hindsight, I have a pretty damn good track record for the things I chose to get as a result of being attracted to usually the art, but sometimes the writer I, I was familiar with. Um, so, so like I saw Steve Englehart, who I'd read on Avengers, was writing Detective Comics at DC a, a couple of years later, and I normally wouldn't have bought Batman, but the the art looked great too because it was Marshall Rogers, was a was he was a great artist. Uh, so I started buying Steve Englehart's Detective. I I started buying Barry uh, Roy Thomas and Barry Smith's Conan issues right. off the racks because I saw how good it was, and my brother would be like, "What the hell are you getting Conan for?" My older brother, and I'd be like, "Look at this art. This is." This guy is great. You know? <laughs> um, so, so that I, same thing with Jim Starlin. I started, I started buying Captain Marvel because Jim Starlin's art looked great in it. It was the first issue I bought of his. Was the the uh, the um, there was an issue where he, uh, Captain Marvel's fighting the thing. Right. And I think it's Starlin's first issue of Captain Marvel. I bought it. Um, so I, you know, I just I had I had a pretty damn good track record for for what my tastes were. Especially in comparison to my older brother, so well, for, I think for me is that when I was a kid, I like like you, I loved the art, but I think as I got older and became a teenager, and like later on after high school, I graduated, I went to college, right? I started reading more and I started liking those stories. So uh-huh. the, for me, I have to like I went, I went to it was my freshman year, I went to a store that had like like a spinner rack, but it was also had DVD, CDs, and stuff like that. It was all media stuff. So, so I actually started getting books again in my college, my freshman year, and I, I kept going. I never stopped, you know. I never stopped. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've been reading comic books for a while now, man. And then, like I say, I like the art. As not as a as an older as an adult, I like to see more of the story. I'm more it's more story driven. I mean, the art it could be excellent, right? But I think with the art, you got to have a story that complement the art. You know, it's just you have to be yeah, and story. getting that combo isn't easy. It's uh, not. So you you gotta you gotta appreciate it when you get it because it's it's, it's sometimes it's hard to find a combo of a combination of talent that will click on a character. Right. Um. And, and sometimes the writing's better than the art. Sometimes the art is better than the writing. Sometimes the artist can't stay on a book anymore for more than four issues. So yeah. it, it becomes very <laughs> haphazard and inconsistent. So when you get a run by a team that you will enjoy. You really have to appreciate it. Right. And that's one of the questions per, per Trevor. He's not with us, but he is with us. He's with us, but he's not, not with us. us. No, we got that. We've established that. Trevor, <laughs> don't worry, Trevor's mom. He's not dead, okay? <laughs> so it was one of his questions. And I think we kind of answered this question already, but he said, which artists have you enjoyed working with or have a good rapport with that you will have love working with again? I mean, I mean. <laughs> I, well, I've gotten to work with Mark twice, once on New Warriors and then years later on Thunderbolts, and I loved it. Um, I've worked with Kevin McGuire a lot. He's been, he's one of my best friends in my life, and I've worked with him like four or five times on different things. Um, I, I've worked with uh, Pat Patrick Zerker a few times on Cable and Deadpool and on Thunderbolts. I loved working with him. Oh, yeah, I remember uh, that. I read Cable worked with Deadpool. Derek Robertson. I worked with Marcus Toe. Uh, and Freddie Williams on Robin and Red Robin, and I loved working with them. Uh, I worked with Riley Brown on um, Cable and Deadpool. It was his first Marvel, regular Marvel assignment, and now he and I have co-created a digital comic called Outrage for Webtoon, so I enjoy working with him a lot. Usually it's not who I enjoy working 
working with because I, I I've gotten I've been pretty lucky I've gotten to work with a lot of really really good artists oftentimes on on, on nice long runs uh, it's about how often they get sick of me and can't deal with <laughs> me anymore so so I, I'm working now on a five issue miniseries from Marvel I, I can't say what it is but I'm working on a five issue miniseries and the artist who agreed to do it is someone I've known for 30 years but I haven't been able to work with and, and he's he's a super artist so I was thrilled when I found out that he was going to do the miniseries. Oh, that's awesome. That's that's great, man. Um, I mean, and like the people just named, you said you like working with, can you have like an idea artist for, as of right now that you would love to work with? You know, you see, you got a new project with this guy right here. You oh, yeah, no, that list that list is so long. It's so long I mean, yeah. the list of artists I would like to work with is so long. And there's some artists I've worked with just a bit that I'd love to work with more. You know, right. I, when I was, I, I was scripting off of, um, Scott Lobdell's plots on, on Nightwing for six issues before I couldn't take it anymore when I left. Um, <laughs> and there was an artist drawing not all the pages of that run, but some of the pages. Uh, Travis Moore is his name, and I think he's absolutely phenomenal when he inks himself. He's gorgeous, and I would love to get to work with him on something more extensive but you know I, I don't think that way that much anymore because I do so little comic work anyway right. that my brain doesn't even doesn't even pay that much attention anymore to who's doing what um, I see a lot of good artists that I'd love to work with both at Marvel and DC and at Image but I don't think about it in terms of oh and I could come up with this idea or this project because I don't I don't play that game anymore I'm, I'm kind of past it I'm beyond it I'm, I'm too old I've aged out of that kind of hustle thing to try to get work at the companies right. uh, the, the the miniseries i'm writing for marvel the offer to do it came absolutely out of the blue and i if you would ask me before labor day weekend uh, are you if you'd ask me in atlanta are you gonna get a call on tuesday some the editor at marvel's gonna offer you a miniseries of a character you really like i, I would have laughed at you if you'd said that because <laughs> the idea of them calling you to write anything more than a short little story was all was completely out of my mind it's nothing i ever even thought of anymore I didn't expect it would happen. So I still don't know why he asked me. I'm waiting to finish all five issues, and then I'll ask him, right, why, did, right. why did you ask me to do this? Um, prior to this, though, you had done like a one page, and it was the Marvel one, Marvel Comics 1001. Um, yeah, but that was just, yeah. That, and they've offered me a few short story things, yeah. and I just didn't want to do them. But I did do one last year for the Domino Annual. I did a, a Domino Cable story because I really liked those characters, and, and I liked... I liked the the what they were presenting me. Too often now, the editors tell you what they want the story to be when it comes to some of those short stories, right. and I have no interest in some of their ideas. You know, so I, I, the things I've turned down is simply because I didn't like the idea they were asking me to write. And I'm at the place in my life where I, I don't really want to do something unless. I have a reason for wanting to do it. Right. You know, yeah. like I, I walked into that Nightwing gig last year, this year, it was earlier this year, actually. Um, I walked into that Nightwing gig knowing it was going to be an absolute nightmare, but my only thought was uh, I'm the only one on this creative of the, uh, out of the writers and the editors who really, really cares about Dick Grayson, the character, really cares about Robin and, you know, and Dick Grayson. So, my concern is they're going to do a storyline where he has amnesia and they're going to really screw it up. So maybe through script, I can try to salvage some essence uh, of Dick Grayson in the story, you uh, know? Yeah. Um, 
So that's why I chose to do it. But yeah. I, I realized that I wasn't going to be happy doing it pretty quickly. So I, I, I actually quit with my first issue and they asked me to stay. <laughs> and we, uh, we rearranged some of the working methods and how much input other people were putting in, into the scripts. Uh, and then I stayed until 56. But even then, I quit with 56 and they asked me to stay to 58. And I said, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm actually, done. I'm done. I actually read some of your DC stuff, man. Um, <laughs> I think I read some of the action comics you did a while back and the Azrael miniseries I read that you did. And I, I think you did some stuff with Trinity too. Yeah, I did all the backups on Trinity oh, for the whole goodness, year. Man. I'm not gonna it's a lot. I mean, I was on I was under contract with them for five years. It was exclusive. I couldn't write comics for anybody else. Um, there were several things I really enjoyed doing. I loved working in the Batman office with Mike Martz. I think I did a really, really good job on Tim Drake on in Robin and Red Robin. But th- there's... There's something in the water there that their editorial approach doesn't often jibe with my preferred writing approach. So it never, outside of working with Mike Martz, it never really clicked but for I remember, me there with any any of the editors. But I remember reading the Trinity stuff, man. It was a weekly thing, man. I remember your backstories yeah. now. <laughs> I remember Mark was doing that book also for a week. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I Mark was that. drawing forty-eight pages a month. Yeah, dude, <laughs> he's crazy. He was, he was drawing a twelve-page lead story four time, four issues a, a month. It was nuts. Yeah, he was getting um, it out there. Yep, he, he got it out yeah, there. He got it out there, man. It almost killed him, but he got it out yeah. there. Believe me, I was there when he was <laughs> doing it. I, I was there some days when he was in the studio doing that book, you know. But you know, that's that's nature of the beast, I guess, in the business. So. Yes, well, it's it's an, it, it, that that particular title and that particular schedule it goes a little beyond the nature of the beast yeah. because the nature of the beast is can you do twenty pages a month every month? Yeah. And Mark was doing forty-eight pages a month every month for twelve months, which is crazy, Yo. you know. Um, so he's he, he, there's probably you can probably count on three fingers the amount of artists that are capable of doing that in our industry today. Um, and Mark is one of those three, he's, you know. Yeah, he's he's a dime a dozen. I mean, he's 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 one of a kind. I say that. Yes, <laughs> he's yeah. one of a kind. He's not a dime a dozen because then you're really selling him short. Yeah. He's he's one of a kind. <laughs> yeah, which he is short. <laughs> but I'm gonna tell him we're gonna yeah well he is short short but we're gonna we're gonna tell him he's a dime a dozen and we're gonna tell him we meant that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> so I got now another question I want to ask also is this just through Trevor once again. I think Trevor gave me four questions to ask you, and he said, "Well, how did you? How did the Gambit series come about?" Is um, <laughs> I don't know how it came about. It was an interesting one because good question, Trevor. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it was an interesting one because I quit as um as president, publisher, and editor in chief of Acclaim. My last day was a Friday. And on Monday, I got a call from Mark Powers, an editor at Marvel, offering me a Gambit book. And I didn't even know what I was going to do when I walked out the door of a claim. I had no idea what my next step was going to be. I needed to recharge a little bit. Um, and and I said, sure, I'll do it because I liked Gambit and I thought it'd be fun. And the artist, he told me that was going to be drawing it as an artist, I thought was a really good young up-and-comer, Steve Scross. So I said, yeah, I'll do it. And that was it. And I, I wrote it for two years before the book got canceled. I, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I, I liked the first year a lot um, because there was a real fluidity and freedom to it. Uh, Steve 
would take my plots and do whatever the hell he wanted to do. That's pretty <laughs> and, cool. That's cool. Yeah, and it was kind of fun. I was all right with it. I, as long as he got me from my beginning to my end, I could figure everything else out. Um, and, and his work was so dynamic and so kinetic that, that I really enjoyed doing it. And I, I also liked it because I, I, I tried very hard to keep him away from the X-Men. I, yeah, I, I did thing. very, very little X stuff because I think Gambit works great on his own, and I don't think he works well with the X Men. So, so I preferred him with his family in New Orleans and all that other stuff. He's one of the characters that, that they kind of—I'm gonna say the word "shit" on. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. Mm-hmm. That he's one of the characters in X Men character that they, they don't think twice about. But I think with Trevor is when he's Trevor's a big Gambit fan. I mean, these are mm-hmm. some of the questions he wanted to ask you. He's not here, but. I mean, I like Gambit also, and I think it's more to that character. Over the years, different writers wrote him, and and they gave they shortchanged him. You know, I mean, <laughs> he's a thief, he's a mutant, he's part of the thieves gal gill. Is it thieves? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So I mean, he has a backstory, man, and you know he does well, like you said, by himself. What I've always wanted to do, um, and and got the chance to do on something that never was published and never will be published because um i prefer young gambit i prefer teenage gambit oh, yeah. i prefer romeo and juliet gambit where him and belladonna are like 14 years old and they have all this family responsibility and all all of these obligations but it's romeo and juliet and the two families hate each other but these two kids love each other to me that's a hell of a lot more interesting version of gambit even than the adult is and and I was hired to write a Gambit novel for Byron Price Books, who, who had a licensing deal with Marvel in the early aughts to produce books of the characters. And I got 275 pages into the novel when the Marvel canceled the contract. Oh, man. So myself, oh. And a, myself and a few other writers who were working on books, they all got canceled. Um, and I, was, I, was, it was, I wasn't even halfway through the novel because it was going to be a big book and, and Byron Price had approved it. And it was a story that was going to be set in the present and then in, in two different versions of his past. Uh, once when he was really, really little, like between the ages of like like three and seven, and then when he was between the ages of like thirteen and seventeen, um, and and it was it, all of this was going to like flesh out all kinds of stuff about his background, his history. I, it was in continuity to what I was doing in the comic book, so it, it was pretty cool. So Gambit fans would have gotten something pretty meaty. Uh, it, it it never will you know happen now, but it, it just shows you how I was thinking about the character, what wow. I thought the character's strengths are. I think Gambit will make a great television series too, just not the adult version. I think that a teenage version would make a great uh, CW type show. You know? Oh man, like um, the CW dude. Oh, they look. You know what I mean? Be- look beautiful and. <laughs> well, yeah, Gambit's supposed to look beautiful. <laughs> just man. Like, oh. s- smell from too much cologne, but everybody, every, all superheroes are supposed to be pretty come on <laughs> yeah right you're right about that <laughs> so i then and i think this is the last question through trevor trevor's working through me <laughs> so he said would you agree to a gambit a deadpool and a hawkeye team up <laughs> he said would that be the best thing ever <laughs> and you know what that i probably wouldn't mind writing that yeah those are gold since they're all three characters i really enjoy i wouldn't mind writing it if only for hawkeye and Dead, deadpool to make fun of gambit's cologne for an entire issue that would all be good because <laughs> so. they actually have done those books the gambit and deadpool then they did a, 
a Hawkeye and Deadpool. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't read any of those. I, I haven't read any of them. Um, I, I, you know, I think that I think there are certain characters that work well with Deadpool. So, you know, I think Gambit and, and Hawkeye are two of those characters that, that could work well with them. But I have no idea how those books were because I never read them. Well, you know what? If you do it, man, it might work very well. Oh uh, well, I can't speak to 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 it in comparison to other people's work that I haven't read, but I'm sure it would be better. Sure. <laughs> yeah, right. Of course. I mean, come on, dude. <laughs> so these are all the questions. You know that Trevor asked me to you know say. I mean, ask you and everything like that. So I mean, I'm I'm doing I'm doing my friend a favor <laughs> and my co-host. It has been done. That was and that, that took up almost an hour of the interview for crying out loud, Trevor. Jeez. Yeah, man. I'm is saying. it him talk? Is it me talking too much all the time, or is it Trevor asking too many damn questions? I don't know, man. But that's why I got a co-host, man. He kind of evened me out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you're not doing comic books or writing comic books, this is something I always ask my guests. What do you do in your spare time, or what are the things that is one of your guilty pleasures of doing uh, something, I, man? I watch way too much TV because <laughs> I like a lot of TV. Um, I walk for exercising when the weather is warmer, and then I go to the gym to exercise. Uh, and I, I, but again, I watch TV while I walk in the ex, in the gym. <laughs> um, uh, I had a dog and I did a lot with my dog, but she died last year. So I don't oh. do anything with her anymore. Uh, she's not as much fun as she used to be. Um, <laughs> I, my wife and I walk too, and, and, and on weekends we'll, we'll, t we'll, we take day drives to different, uh, different, uh, little, little towns in the Pennsylvania, New Jersey area. Uh, and, and we'll go for walks and have dinner and stuff like that when the weather is accommodating. But uh, I'm an old man now, so I, I try to do less, not more. Right, um, right. right. But, but really, that's it. I, I stopped doing yard work as a, as like almost like a break, you know? Um, I stopped doing yard work because it, it's very tiring and I didn't feel like getting tired. Right. Um, <laughs> so, and I cook now, so I've been cooking meals in the house for the last two years now, I, I cook most of the meals, almost all of the meals in the house, and, and I kind of have fun doing that. So I do the, I do the food shopping, and, and I prep it, and I make it. You know, four or five nights a week, I'm cooking dinner, uh, and and it works out fine because I'm a freelance writer and I'm home most of the days of the week, right. so I can get started on dinner. You know, early, and it doesn't really in, impact my workload at all. You know, since, um, since you said television shows, I mean, what is your favorite? Well, you, you watch TV. So what is what you are you watching right now that gets uh, your attention? Right now, right now I am watching. I am going to start watching season three of Get Shorty on Epics. The only reason I'm doing that is because we have a three week free preview for Epics. Okay. And I I had seen season one of Get Shorty. Uh, it, it's got a uh, Chris Dowd and Ray Romano on, and and I I it, it had gone good reviews and I liked the original movie a lot and I like Elmore Leonard book so I wanted to give it a try and I really enjoyed it um, but I never got to see season two because it was on epic season one was on uh, Netflix at one point so, um, so so I because we have the free preview I've just been trying to watch all of the available uh, get shorty episodes as quickly as I can um, I, uh, I, I, I I watch a bunch um, I I, I um, I watched the what did I just I just watched the Jack Ryan show on Amazon, um, the the second season of Jack Ryan on Amazon. Uh, this is all just in the last you know four weeks or so, oh, okay. right? 
Okay. We can't go back further than that. Uh, during New York Comic Con, because I was going in every day on the train and I needed to decompress on the way home, uh, I downloaded um, Godless on Netflix, which is a Western with Jeff Daniels. I'd seen it already, um, but oh, I, it yeah, was a year right. ago. That's it was right. a year ago, and I rewatched it, and it's still great. It was great. That's Godless right. was so good. Um, I, I touted every chance I can get. Um, so, so, God, so I rewatched Godless during New York Comic Con. Um, I downloaded a couple episodes of, of little like innocuous shows like uh, the Kaminsky Method, which Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin. Uh, there's another show on Netflix uh, that I watched the first season, which I thought was really cute, uh, called The End of the Fucking World. I missed um, that, man. I didn't finish the first season of that. that yeah, no, I, it's like, yeah, it's it's cute. It's fun. Uh, it's it's a a romance, a high school romance between a, a moody girl and a potential serial Psychopath. killer boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and he ends up being the sane one of the two. Wow. Uh, I watched um, uh, I watched The Good Place. Um, although I'm finding this current last season to be weaker than the show has been in the past. So you actually um, watch a lot of TV, Fabian. I'm telling you, that's nothing, man. I'm telling you, dude. I watched the Eddie Murphy movie on, on Netflix. It was great. Uh, my name, uh, is, my Dolomite. name is Dolomite. I really, really enjoyed it a lot. Rudy it Ray was Moore. Really, what? Rudy, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, I didn't know much about it. I, I remember the Dolomite movies back then, but I wasn't into the black exploitation when I was a kid, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see them or know of them. Um, and so I really liked it from the standpoint of. The, the, the history of the, this guy, who he was and what he tried to do and what he successfully did, you know, yeah, right. uh, it was a really fun underdog story. So, so I liked it a lot. I recommend it quite a bit. Nice. Um, so what else did I, I watch? Uh, I'm actually scrolling through Netflix as we're talking, just so I can remind myself. Uh, I watched <laughs> a break uh, uh, a month or so ago. That was a new one on Netflix too. It's like an, a teenage apocalypse thing. I didn't like that too much. I, I would probably give that only a my day break. Yeah, Daybreak. Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to watch that. I, I, I pass on that one. You know, there's a lot of things that I, I watched on Netflix. I work, I work so much, I don't get the chance to watch everything. But I had to go back to Amazon Prime, uh, Amazon Video, and I had mm-hmm. to go back and watch Justified. Cause it's Justified. One of the, I, yeah. I just rewatched it like about six months ago. Yeah, dude. I it's one of those. rewatched the whole series. I had to because I, 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 didn't re- I didn't watch season six. I kind of stopped watching it. But I said, let me you know what I got prime. Let me go ahead and rewatch all this from season one, and it's a good show. Yeah, yeah, it's Justify a, was a really good show. It was, a good it was show. really well done. Yeah, and again, it's it's got the Elmore Leonard. Uh, it's an it's an Elmore Leonard pedigree because it was originally an Elmore Leonard short story. Right. But it's got he was involved in it as a producer, and his son was involved in it too. So it's got a real great attitude and tone to it. Um, and, and that permeated through the whole series. Like, it was a very consistent tone to it, which I liked a lot. Yeah, I really loved it, man. You know, like that man told me, he gave him 24 hours to leave. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was sold. The first episode, I was sold. Like, this is crazy my, shit. My favorite line in that whole show was, I think it was one of either the last season or the second last season, this guy's running away from him. And he shoots him, and Raylan Givens shoots him in the back, and the guy is on the ground. He goes, he goes, you shot me in the back, all angry. And Raylan goes, well, I would have shot you in the front if you were running towards me. Yeah, that was season two. <laughs> that was season two. It's just the greatest line ever. 
it's so logical. Like it's like so matter of fact. You know, if you'd been running towards me, I would have shot you in the front. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what kind of show it was, man. It was it was a fun show to watch, man. It was out of backstabbing, the people changing yeah. sides like that, but. It was and really, really stupid white people, which is great. Yeah. It's always it's always fun to watch really, really stupid white people on TV. <laughs> <laughs> and that show sure had a lot of stupid white people. Man, they made some bad decisions, boy. It was yeah, bad decisions, did. man. But yeah, that's cool, man. I'm glad we had this talk on my podcast, man. You know, and I, I try to get on. Like I said, we try to get you on there. And, and, but, you know, with your busy schedule, I finally got you on the podcast. I, I really appreciate you coming on here. On my little podcast of only 44 listeners. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, Amos, I'm sorry. I accidentally, I accidentally muted you. Like, hold on. Wait. What's <laughs> Wait. Wait, my headphones fell out. Oh, no. Hold on, Amos. No, no, the headphones fell out. <laughs> my headphones fell out. I accidentally muted you because my hand hit the volume button, and I missed the last 20 seconds. <laughs> wow, man. Oh, man. That's the first. That's we the... have to go back. We have to rewind 20 seconds. 20 what seconds. Were After Justified, what did we say? <laughs> <laughs> I was telling you that I appreciate you being on my show. And I say all of my 44 listeners, I appreciate them listening to this podcast. Well, <laughs> listen, if you advertise that I'm on, you're going to get like 46 listeners, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I should. I, I think I should be able to increase you by two listeners. Yeah, I appreciate that, Fabian. I really it do. It was my man. pleasure, Amos. It's always great to talk to you. So for my listeners, um, how can people get in not contact with you, but how can they follow you on any of your you, social you media? You can follow me on Twitter, uh, at Fabian Isiesa, um, and and uh, you can you can follow me or see see my uh, posts on Facebook. But I have a really long friends wait list, and I've been too stupid and lazy to set up a fan page. So uh, don't try to friend me on Facebook because it's like a thousand person wait list. Yeah. As you know, we I talked know. about that. I know we talked about um, that. <laughs> but Twitter's Twitter's usually the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um, and I have my, my DMs are open, so you can always DM me as long as you're not annoying. Um, and I'm more than happy to interact with people that way. All right, cool. That's that's the social media um, outlets and social media um, page and everything like that. For me, you can check me out at justbeingamers.com on all my social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Peace. Just be in the